Now look at Hosea chapter 10, uh, verse 12. Just one verse to start us off. A friend, hear the word of the Lord to us in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, would you be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray. Father, you have unfailing love for us. Lord, even this morning we woke up to your new mercies. Holy Spirit, would you even now be calling us to repentance and faith that we would take up our crosses and follow you with the joy set before us, knowing you better. Father, thank you for your love. And Lord, would it excite our hearts even now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When was the last time you had sort of a bolt of excitement burst through you? Have you ever had that, you know, in a way that you weren't really expecting, but all of a sudden your adrenaline goes way up and you have this burst of excitement that you didn't see happen? Uh, well, uh, a Monday night, I was out fishing with some other pastors here in the valley. Uh, it's something we call Pastors Monday. It has a website. Uh, we're gonna make T-shirts. It's gonna say Pastors Monday. On the front, on the back, it's gonna say because he didn't call golfers. And so, uh, you know, if, I'm sorry if you're a golfer. We love golfers too. But he didn't call golfers, now did he, right? He called fishermen for a reason. And so uh, every Monday night, you know, some pastors here in the Rogue Valley, led by one of the guys in our church, uh, we go out fishing on Monday nights. And uh, anyway, this past Monday night, I was out on the Rogue River. And, uh, you know, I looked out, you know, over the side of the boat. You know, we had dropped anchor in our little drift boat. It was me and two other pastors. And I looked down in the water, and, you know, I had my polarized sunglasses so I could see through the water. And it looked like maybe there was a foot or two of water because I could see, you know, the, the thin green algae on the rocks. And so, like all good fishermen, you know, I put one foot out first. And then all of a sudden, I drop about three feet further than I realized. <laughs> And I realized that the thin green algae on the rocks that I was seeing wasn't actually what I was seeing at all. Now, was it? It was actually more like an underwater kale garden, right? And the algae was about three feet long, and I almost fell in completely. Uh, you know, one pastor did fall in, unfortunately, but it wasn't me. Uh, but what I realized in that moment was as soon as my wading boot, you know, hit the riverbed, and I could feel it, even though I was about you know, three and a half feet in the water further than I thought I was gonna be, immediately, fear didn't come up. Excitement burst through me. You know why? Because I was standing in a river about to catch fish. Amen. Amen. <laughs> now, I share that story because if you look down at the book of Hosea, it's only about 10 pages in your Bible. It looks really short, it looks short and sweet. And now we may look at it and think, well, there's not that much to this book, right? I mean, you, if you wanted to read it this afternoon, you know, on the Lord's Day, if you wanted to take, you know, an opportunity, you could read the book of Hosea in about 30 minutes. Now, it looks simple, right? It looks like that thin line of algae, right? There's not that much to it. But what you'll find is when we dive into this book together, and especially if you join us Wednesday night for my Wednesday night Bible study on YouTube, uh, you'll find that... Hosea is much deeper than you realize. <laughs> and we may you know, dip our foot in it this morning, uh, but very quickly you're gonna realize this morning that it is much deeper than we're even realizing. You know, uh, Pope Gregory wrote in the 300s that scripture was shallow enough for the lamb to go waiting, 
but deep enough for an elephant to swim. I love that image of scripture because in one sense, we understand the message of the Bible, but at this other sense, you and I this whole year have been diving deep into his word. And what you'll find in Hosea is just when you think you see it, you realize that the gospel depth to this book is so much greater. But here's the thing, I don't want that to make you scared and avoid the Old Testament or avoid Hosea. Instead, I want you to get excited. Even though it's deeper than you think, there is riverbed and baby, we can catch some fish. So I want you to get excited as we get into this book of Hosea. Because really, I mean, that's, that's basically what I've been trying to do for the last three or four months in this series called Whole that we've been doing. You know, I mean, if you read the New Testament, we find over and over again that the New Testament writers are excited. A burst of life goes through them. Uh, something burns within them when they read the Old Testament. The catch, though, is they have to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ, who is God become man, who is the ultimate king of David. And what we find is when we read the New Testament, it sheds light onto the Old Testament. <laughs> and when we read the Old Testament, it makes the New Testament and the gospel all the more richer. And I'm not joking when I say it's the gospel according to Hosea, because everything about Hosea is driving towards the great good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, if the, the, the gospel of Luke, you know, if you go into the New Testament, one of those biographies of Jesus, you know, the gospel of Luke ends with one of my favorite sections in the New Testament. You see, Jesus has died for our sins on the cross. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and now he is offering salvation to anyone who calls upon his name. And at the end of the gospel of Luke, the resurrected Jesus Christ is alive and he's talking to his disciples. And what I want you to see in, in Luke 24, it's gonna be on the screen, is notice how Jesus talks about the Old Testament. This is Luke 24, verse 44 and following. Then he, that's Jesus, said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, includes Hosea, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, that is the Old Testament, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. You know, and in the same chapter, Jesus is declaring that he is alive and that he has come to fulfill every promise in the Old Testament, that the whole Old Testament was pointing to his life. And in Luke 24, verse 32, the two men on the road to Emmaus, listen to what they say. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? Uh, friends, why do you need to know the story of Hosea? Well, the story of Hosea is really the gospel story. But what Hosea shows us, if I can, you know, in the power of the Spirit, open to your minds the scriptures, the way that Jesus instructed his apostles, what you'll realize is that Hosea's story is really our story, which is really God's story. And it's a story of a loving and faithful God who will pursue an unfaithful people. And it's your story and it's my story because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God.
but Christ Jesus became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the same spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead now dwells in you by faith. Friends, that's the whole story of the gospel and Hosea is pointing towards it. But what Hosea, Hosea is warning us in every chapter is that you and I have a heart problem where our hearts are prone to love the wrong things. Uh, friends, I, I don't know if you've realized this, but the fight of your life is really fought on the battlefield of your heart. That is the fight of your life. It is not a matter of what you do, it is a matter of what you love. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you'll be free to fight the good fight of faith. See, friends, in our fight against sin, uh, friends, it's a battle over what you will love. Will I love myself, my wants, my desires, my satisfaction, my kingdom, or will I lay those at the foot of the cross and love God wholeheartedly? Friends, the fight of your life is fought on the battlefield of your heart and it is a battle of love. And that's what Hosea is teaching you and me because this is a story about love. So let's dive into this story of love, right? So let's go, uh, if you want an outline to uh, you know, our time together, you could you know, summarize sort of these sort, four sort of basic points. We're gonna look at love's story, love's threat, love's repentance, and love's redemption, right? So story, threat, repentance, redemption. If you wanna write down notes, go for it. You don't have to, some people like to. Story, threat, redemption, and repentance. So what's love's story? Well, look with me at Hosea. What's going on in this story? Well, uh, if you're familiar with the story of Hosea, uh, Hosea is one of the prophets that's called to do a sign act with his life. So if you remember in the other prophets, guys like Ezekiel, they'll sometimes do something odd to sort of get people's attention, right? So uh, Ezekiel lays on his side uh, for years to get people to think, what is that guy doing right now? And then he cooks food in a really terrible way. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can Google it. He cooks food with some terrible recipes, right? And people are thinking this is really odd. And then Jeremiah, you know, he comes in before the king at one point with sort of a yoke on his shoulders. And he says, you are gonna be yoked to the king of Babylon. You know, the prophets sometimes did outlandish things as sort of a sign act to act out what is happening around them. And so what happens in Hosea, if you look down in chapters one through three, uh, we learn a fascinating aspect of Hosea's life that's meant to echo through eternity. Uh, there's this image of a prophet named Hosea. And in chapter one, verse two, the Lord tells Hosea to do something unlike anything that any other prophet had been asked to do. Uh, God tells Hosea to marry a promiscuous woman who will have children that are not his. And that is going to be the sign act of his life. And so what happens is Hosea takes a wife and everything starts out beautifully at the beginning. They have a child together. His name is Jezreel. But then as we read unto Hosea chapter one and two and three, we realize that his wife's next two children, Gomer, that's his wife's name, her next two children are not his. And so what happens in chapter three is the Lord says, you see, just as your wife started out with love and moved away from you with her heart, so have my people, who are my bride, started out in the land with faithfulness and they have drifted away. And God has the audacity to compare adultery to what we do 
when we worship other things, when our hearts turn away from God, there's a profound sense that we are turning away from the groom. That's the language, the intimacy that God has with his people. And so what God is saying is he's saying, just as everyone knows the story of Hosea who had a wife, but then she left him, people will know that they have left me. But that's not the end of the story of Hosea, and that is not the final chapter. Because in chapter three of Hosea, what the Lord tells Hosea to do, look at verse three, verse one. He says, and the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. And so what Hosea is called to do by God is he is called to go back and to love his wife and to redeem her and bring her back, to bring her back into the family and to raise the kids. You see, what the sign act is supposed to demonstrate is that this is the kind of God that we serve. You know, yes, God created us and things were perfect, but like our father Adam, we have all sinned and fallen short. And we have gone after other lovers and other gods. But God isn't finished with us because he has a fierce love for you and me. And he will redeem us with an outstretched arm. And so God tells Hosea to bring his wife back as a symbol that God is a God who is willing to forgive and to redeem and make all things new. And that's the story and that's the context of Hosea. Um, after chapter three, we don't hear any more about Gomer. We don't learn anything else new about Hosea. Uh, the rest of the book, chapters four through 14, are really just an unpacking of how that story of Hosea with his wife is really a symbol of God and his people, of how they went wayward, but God is gonna call them back, <laughs> right? All right, anyone thinking, oh, I thought I saw the green algae on the rock, but this is way deeper <laughs> than I thought it was. So what happens in this story, of course, is we're supposed to realize um, something very profound, right? That the, the life that you and I live, right? The fight that we're supposed to fight really is on the battleground of your heart. And I know that may sound hokey, but it really is true. Um, think about it this way. You know, the, here's the thing about sin. Um, here's the thing that's true of me and it's true of everyone in this world. There is an aspect of sin, you know, whether it's lying or pornography or adultery or greed or pride or, or any sin that God forbids, any of these things. There's an aspect to sin, and this is where it gets really twisted, is that when you look at your heart, what we realize is the reason you and I sin at some level is because we love it. It's because we love and worship it. You know, I mean, the old saying goes, you know, if I say, don't think about the red apple in my hand, don't, don't think about it, what are you thinking about? I told you not to think about it. Well, how do you stop thinking about a red apple? You do what? Some of you remember this. You picture an orange in this hand, right? Your heart is prone to love something. You will love something, whether it's your football team, or it's the sound of your own voice, or it is your RV, or it is your 401k, or it is your beautiful family, or it is your achievements. Whatever it is, our hearts are prone to wander because we are looking for something to love and find all of our identity in, right? This is why as adults, we look at teenagers and we see what? We see ourselves. <laughs> because teenagers, you guys are trying to figure out who you are but who you are is defined by your loves. 
I mean, this is why God can tell the Israelites um, that they are becoming like, like dumb cows. You know why he says that? It's because they worship a golden calf. And so God says you're a bunch of stiff-necked people because you become what you worship. If you love money, you become controlled by it. But here's the beautiful thing, right? And here's the hope. If you love God, if you love God, what do you become like? If you behold God in his mercy, what do you become? You become like him. You begin to be transformed from one degree of glory to the other into the image of his son. So the story of Hosea is an intense story of love. If you're gonna join us in the Ephraim Co-op, which is our daily Bible reading app, you're gonna see this. God takes love seriously because he takes it so seriously and we have to see this in the story. We've got to also see that love has a real threat in our lives. Right, so this is sort of my, my second point. If you know the story of Hosea, you're gonna be able to read it just fine. Uh, but we have to recognize right off the bat that what is the threat, right? Is the threat just sort of our outward duties? Is, you know, is the threat of loving God, do I need, do I need to like tithe more? Do I gotta like go to church more? What are, what are the external things I need to do to make sure that you know, I'm doing what's right? Well, notice in Hosea chapter six, you can flip over there, it's on page uh, 896. The threat is actually more profound than that. It's not a matter of just the external things that we do in life. Notice what God says in the Old Testament. This is verse six, verse six and seven. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, our father Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. You see, what does God desire? Steadfast love. Not just sort of an external doing of the right things, but a heart that loves them, right? That's why I'm pleading with you to see that the battlefield really is your heart. So what is the threat? Well, the threat is loving other things. Um, you know, somebody once said, uh, love is blind. Anybody ever hear that old phrase, love is blind? Anyone ever heard that? You know, love is blind. You know what the second part of that is? Love is blind and marriage is an eye-opener. You see, love's threat in Hosea, right? You could look at it at a bunch of different levels, right? The, the threat of love in Hosea is Gomer going after other men, going after other lovers, right? Because her heart is not with her husband, it's somewhere else. And of course, who really does Gomer stand for? You know, do we think of ourselves as Hosea? Well, the whole point of Hosea is actually we are Gomer. We are the ones who have gone astray. All of us have turned, everyone to his own way. It's what Isaiah says, because the battlefield is our heart. And we get this from all the way back in the first chapter of God's whole story. Like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. Like Adam, I have transgressed the covenant. And it's eye-opening. So what was it exactly? I mean, you know, what were these people doing that was so bad? You know, if you read Hosea 4 through 14, you know, God starts to give his indictment for what are the, what, what's so wrong? What is the threat? What are they doing that's so bad? You know, I guess they could love God more. Well, what's the threat? Well, if you read Hosea chapter four, what you'll realize is the first group of people that he indicts and punishes are the religious leaders. He goes to the priests and he indicts them. He says in four chapter six, he says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. 
Our people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Um, friends, I have to confess, I cried as I read through Hosea this week. I cried, and I thought, are my people being destroyed for a lack of knowledge? Do they know God's word? Do they know truth from error? Isaiah says, woe to those who call something sweet that is bitter and say something that is bitter is sweet. Friends, do you have knowledge? I mean, this is why we study God's word is so that we would have knowledge and not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge, right? Knowledge in Hosea always carries with it that double entendre, right? The, the Hebrew knowledge, right? Where it says, and Adam knew Eve, right? And if you don't know what that means, ask your parents later today. My people are destroyed by a lack of knowledge. And he lays that at the feet of the religious leaders. And then he says he indicts the religious leaders because they glory in their sin. They love it when people sin because the more people sin, the more sacrifices they make and the more food they get to eat every day. And then he looks to the people and he says that they worship the Baals. And you may think, goodness, I have never seen you know, a temple or a you know, a you know, tower or a pillar to Baal. You know, that's not how people operate. That's an old world way of thinking. But what God is telling them is that they have conflicted hearts. Yes, they can confess love of God, but at the same time, they worship all of the same things that the people all around them worship. They sacrifice to Yahweh, and they also sacrifice to Baal. And it's not just about their worship. It gets even worse because as you read in Hosea, the way that you worship Baal is you trust in Baal to give you all the harvest that you need. You know, if you were living in this sort of ancient culture, right, most of us would have been you know, farmers. We would have been in agricultural society. And so the way that you would make sure that you had a good harvest was, well, I guess I could trust God to provide, but you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go to the temple of Baal where there are prostitutes. And I will use the prostitutes and somehow during that defiling act, Baal will be encouraged to give more corn in my field or whatever we were growing. And that's exactly what God's people were doing. And now you think, oh, good grief. I'm so glad he said that because I have never been to the temple of Baal. I don't do that. That's like way out there. But friends, I would be remiss as your pastor if I did not remind every man in this room that the temple of Baal is in your pocket. It is on your cell phone. You wanna go somewhere and see the temple? You wanna talk about loving something, having a conflicted heart? Hmm. Friends, the Smartphones, the internet is a gateway to every temple of Baal. You see, Hosea speaks to us because it's something we love. And that's why many of us struggle to get over that, isn't it? Because at some level, we realize we love it. The temple of Baal may be on your cell phone, it may be in your checking account, it may be in your savings account. But it's still here, it's just in different forms. You know what hasn't changed? Human hearts and God's mercy. And that's the good news. I could keep going, but friends, you see, love's threat. Loving God, the threat to you and me and the threat to the people in Hosea and the threat to everyone in this room is sin. And the greatest threat is it's a battle of what are we gonna choose to love? 
you know, if I could really hammer it down, you know, Hosea points out uh, this, this hard thing. If you go into Hosea chapter 10, verse one, Hosea indicts the people and he says, uh, he's talking about how as Israel got more and more prosperous, as God blessed them with more things, the temptation to worship other things grew all the more. Hosea 10, verse one says, the more his fruit increased, the more altars, false altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down the altars and destroy their pillars. <laughs> and friends, when you look at that verse, uh, I want you to think about it this way. This is a litmus test for you. Let's just do a, a, a thought experiment. What God is saying is he's gonna tear down all of the false things that you and I worship. If we are really his people, he's gonna tear them down. So if you look at that verse, it says the more his fruit increased, right? The more you know, he made money, the more Israel was prosperous, the more things we started to worship falsely. And then look at the last three lines. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. <laughs> and when I think about God tearing down the things that I worship that are not him, you know what I think? I think praise God, praise God that he is gonna tear down the pillars of false worship in my life. Friends, do you have anything like that in your heart right now? God is telling you through his fierce love that he is going to remove the bales from your mouth. He is going to remove the pillars of worship. And friends, the heart cry of somebody with the Holy Spirit in them is they say, praise God, God is gonna save me from myself. Praise God. You see, friends, love's threat is a heart of sin. So how do we respond? So what is Lord, sort of love's response to that? What does God call us to do? Well, this is an old-time gospel message, but thank God the gospel hasn't changed. Love's response is repentance. It's repentance. If you read Hosea, it's on every chapter. What God wants you and me to do is to repent, to turn away. Uh, to not love false pillars of worship, to not love false idols, to not love the things of this world, to be in this world, but not of this world, to worship God alone, right? To fulfill the first commandment, right? No other gods, right? So what repentance means, right? And this is our starting verse. Uh, what Hosea is pleading with God's people to do, this is Hosea 10, verse 12, is he says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness on you. Uh, friends, what I love so much about that verse is, um, <laughs> when I think about my own heart, uh, what I, I, the, I, I think out of my metaphors. I use a lot of metaphors in my life, which you probably realize, and sometimes it's obtuse, and sometimes it works. But in the metaphor of my life, I picture my heart as hard soil. It is very hard, dense soil, and it is not easy to get things to grow in there. But what happens is every morning, you know, to sort of, to riff off of Martin Luther, I've gotta beat the gospel into my heart every morning, that I am more sinful than I think, but more loved in Christ than I imagine. <laughs> and it's like, I've gotta take like a stake and a hammer and like beat the gospel into this hard soil because every night when I go to sleep, you know what my heart does? It like pops out the gospel and I wanna prove my own righteousness. I wanna love the things of this world. I wanna love myself and love my pride and pursue all of the things that would really eat me up. 
And every morning what I've got to do is remind myself of the gospel. You know, Martin Luther said the most important thing a pastor could do is preach the gospel and beat it into their heads continually. <laughs> I love that. I think about that, and I don't know if I want to beat it into your head, I want to beat it into your heart maybe. I want the spirit to do that. And that's what Hosea wants. Look what he says. He says, break up the fallow ground, right? Till the garden of your heart, whatever metaphor you want to use, because it is now time to seek the Lord. And when we talk about repentance, right, this is a turning away from things. And what I want you to realize is not just a turning away, it's a loving differently. It is a loving of God and a refusal to love other things, right? It is a loving of Hosea and refusing the other men for Gomer, right? That's what God wants for us, is to love him and to stop loving the things of this world. And that's really repentance. And, you know, sometimes I think, you know, as Christians, we get really comfortable, right? Uh, and, you know, when I talk about repentance, we may think, well, repentance, I already did that. I already repented. I already said I was a bad person. I already said all this stuff, and I confessed Jesus, you know, decades ago. Uh, but friends, um, to go back to Martin Luther, you know, the great reformer, you know, who cried, ad fontes, back to the fountains, back to the word. If you remember in Martin Luther's life, 500 years ago, he nailed something to the door of the Wittenberg Abbey. You know what it was? Anybody remember? What did he nail on the door? If you know church history, he sparked the Protestant Reformation because he made 95 theses, right? I pray to God that at the Harvest Festival on October 31st, which is the day that Martin Luther did this in history, I pray to God when we have the Harvest Festival on October 31st, we will have a 95 Reeses challenge. Halloween is also Reformation Day because it's also the day Martin Luther did this. But when Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses, you know why it changed the world? Number one on his list, you know what it is? Number one of the 95 theses, this is what Martin Luther said. When our Lord and master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed that the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Repentance is not a one time act, it is a lifetime, a lifetime of loving God and turning your heart away from other lovers that would woo you and ruin you for eternity. Is an entire lifetime of repentance. My heart is hard soil. Got to beat the gospel into it. So am I advocating then that we are saved by repentance alone? That that's the gospel message? Well, I just got to feel bad about my sin and beat myself up every day? No, it is not salvation by good works alone. You know, another reformer, Calvin, said repentance was like the empty hand that receives the gift of God, right? Our repentance is just an empty hand. It's just putting your hands out in a posture to receive something greater than you could ever do. Because the great story of Hosea and the great story of the gospel and the great story of your life, if you believe in Jesus, is that you are not redeemed and you are not made right and you are not proven righteous by anything that you do, anything that you do, no amount of good works or acts of service or things that you and I can be proud in will redeem an inch of our lives. You know what Hosea says? Hosea says in chapter six, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up 
that we may live before him. Friends, you see, this is a deep, we're getting deep into the kale salad in the water. But what Hosea is saying is one day he is going to redeem his people. And after they have been dead for two days, on the third day they will be brought back to life. But friends, the gospel message is that only God can do that for you. What the Bible demands of you, God provides in Christ. Your righteousness is found in him. Hosea says, out of Egypt I called my son, yet he turned away from me. And God says, one day I wanna raise them up on the third day and I will heal them and I will give them David their king. Hosea 3, 6. But friends, you see what Hosea was pointing towards is there was going to be a man who represented Israel, who succeeded where they failed, who was faithful to God and never loved anything but him. And God was going to use him to pay the fines and to receive the punishment that they deserved. And he was going to raise him on the third day. You see, Jesus has come to do what you and I never could, what the nation of Israel never could, because he provides what he demands in Christ. And so this is why as Christians, we are humble. This is why as Christians, we live a life of repentance because we didn't earn this. Jesus earned this. Jesus is the one who was raised on the third day and now by the same spirit that raised him, I can live by the power of his spirit in that same power. Now friends, I know this is getting into the gospel of Hosea, but I think when I think about the gospel and I say this as, a, as, you, as your pastor who loves you and I believe the battlefield of your life is on your heart, I need you to get the gospel right. And so this is worth just a couple more minutes. When we think about the gospel, it is not just a one-time belief that Jesus is God. The gospel is this grand story of a created world that fell into sin, but God has redeemed it in Christ, and one day he will make all things new. But when you think about that concept, when you think about this, I want you to think about this image. All right, so if you can pull it up on the slide. Uh, this is not something that I invented, uh, but friends, uh, this is from a book called The Gospel-Centered Life, but I think this is so profound and if you can remember this for the rest of your life, if you have ears to hear, you'll never be the same. All right, so friends, what, this is a very simple chart, but you know, if you imagine going from left to right, this is your life. You know, at some point you're born, at some point you die, right? Time is going on this way. Well, if you confess Jesus, right, if you become a Christian, at some point in your life, the cross becomes real, right? So that's where the, the line starts to break. At some point, you became a Christian. And what it means to be a Christian is you realize sort of two simultaneous things. You recognize God is holy, right? So you become aware in that top quadrant. And then the bottom, you realize that we are sinful. You know, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Um, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins, right? So at some point when you became a Christian, you recognized I am a sinner, God is holy, and Jesus has filled in the gap between God's standard and my sin. And here's the thing, for the rest of your life, this is what Luther's talking about, the life of repentance, right? Through the rest of your life, if you go to the next slide, 
what should be happening for you and me for the rest of our lives is we should be growing more and more aware of how holy God is and how righteous he is and how holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We should be opening up the aperture of our hearts so that we can handle Hosea. You know, uh, when I read Hosea, you know, if you, if you get offended by how God is calling his people out on their sin, uh, just stop and ask yourself, is God overreacting or am I just underrepenting? Am I just ignoring God's holiness? Does God really have a standard? But of course, the great existential threat is if you really see God in his holiness, you realize how much more sinful we are, <laughs> right? And as we grow in Christ, it's not that you and I should be growing more sinful, you know, um, may that never be the case. But as you live your life, Christian, you should be growing more aware of your sin, right? So that when people confront you, you say, yes, yes, I am worse than I think, and I believe it. And when your spouse comes to you and says, put the cap back on the toothpaste, you can say, you're right, I'm a sinner. But Christ died for me. But notice, friends, that the goal of your life is not to wallow in your sin or just be terrified of God. It's that the cross will get bigger and bigger and bigger in your life. You know, I meet a lot of older Christians who are not living like this. When I say older Christians, I mean Christians who are Christians for more than about a year or two. Because instead of living this sort of cross-centered life where, yes, I'm more aware of my sin, but my goal is not to hate myself or ignore it or deny it or excuse it, it's to make Jesus bigger in my life. Jesus died for that. <laughs> because that was always what it was like. God was always more holy than I realized and it was always more sinful than I realized. But now I see Jesus as more and more precious. You know what really is the case? You know what really is the case for most of us? If you go to the next slide, you know what most of us look like? This is what we look like. This is us. You know what happens? We learn about Jesus, we learn we're sinful, we learn that God's holy, and then at some point we say, I don't wanna hear any more about God's holiness. You know what? I don't think God's right on his sexual ethics. I don't think God is right that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and life. I don't, I don't agree with all this, you know, God's gonna send people to hell, you know, that God has judgment. I'm not gonna read Hosea. God's overreacting. I'm just not gonna deal with God right now. And then, of course, what happens is we say, well, I'm a bad person, but you know who really is at fault? Who's really at fault? You better not say it out loud. They may be in the room. I'm not at fault. I'm a good person. And I'm like, those people. And you know what happens when you live like that? You shrink the cross in your life. You don't really care about God's holiness. Oh, yeah, 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 I mean, I sin a little bit. You know, doesn't everybody. But of course, by the end of your life, if you even have any faith left, you know, you try talking to your grandkids about Jesus. There's no joy in it. There's no excitement. There's no power. You know why? It's because you shrunk the cross. Jesus meant more to you when you became a Christian than where you are right now. Go back to the previous slide. Imagine being that kind of Christian, that at the end of your life, you, like Paul, can say, this I know, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. At the end of Paul's life, Paul said this, 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy so that in me I might be an example to those who will believe on him in faith. Imagine talking to your grandkids about your sin. But Christ is a mighty savior. And I'm seeing more and more of his glory. You see, friends, this is what the gospel, according to Hosea, is trying to get you to see. Yes, Hosea will call out us on our sins. Yes, it will be very blunt with it. Yes, it's gonna reveal God in his holiness. But until you see Jesus filling in the gap, you'll never really catch on to this Christianity thing or this faith thing. Because you know what'll happen? You'll learn a little bit about it and it'll just shrink over your life. See, friends, let me just finish up with this. When was the last time you had anything like a burst of excitement about the gospel? Friends, that's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gospel according to Hosea. Father, I pray that you would be breaking up the fallow ground of our hearts. Lord, I ask that that would start with me. Lord, that we would be repenters who are also saints. Father, we know that Christ is our only hope in life and death. May we praise his name in the gospel forever. Amen.